Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Hey, what's up? Middle of the week, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Glad to have you along. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey. Brian Haydad has the day off. He will, I guess, rejoin us tomorrow afternoon. We're glad to be with you. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. You can find them online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help. Whether you're buying a piece of property, you are building a dream house in the country, you need to get equipment to maintain the property, maybe you're going to refinance an existing loan or it's a production loan that you need, Mississippi Land Bank can help. It's what they do. It's what they've been doing for over 100 years. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. We'll be to the weekend before we know it. Then we will be in Hoover, Alabama for SEC Media Days after that. That's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday next week. Looking forward to being there. Got the announcement of all the players that will be there. And uh, I think uh, of the 14 teams represented, you've got nine quarterbacks that are going to be there. And Borky, I think that fits your fancy or suits your fancy just right, right? Yeah. You, you say you want to hear from quarterbacks. I do, and everybody else wants to hear from quarterbacks as well. So I think last year, what was it, three went last year and it was just a charade. Something like that. It, it was awful. And everybody wants to hear from the quarterback. I know it's simple, but that's how you're going to sell your program. And good. I'm glad that this year teams are actually going to bring them. So, Who were the quarterbacks last year? Nick Fitzgerald was there. And Jake Fromm was there, and who was the third? Was it Jake Bentley from South Carolina? Did he go last year? I'm trying to find, here we go, full list of players from 2018 SEC Media Days. There you go. It is uh, absolutely July 10th, is it not? Uh, Kentucky did not bring one. LSU did not bring one. Neither did A&M. Arkansas, Florida... Georgia did not bring their quarterback. Ole Miss brought Jordan to Amu. There's your first, Nick Fitzgerald. There's your second, Drew Locke is your third. And Jarrett Stidham. Oh, okay, I must be thinking of 2017 then because Locke, Stidham, Bentley, and Shermer all came. Okay, so yeah, he had a few quarterbacks last year, but maybe not as many as you would have liked to have seen. Of course, you also had more quarterback battles that were going on. Uh, you had Joe Burrow coming in, and that wasn't decided. Florida had not made up their mind on who the quarterback was going to be uh, a year ago. Tennessee wasn't sure what they were doing at quarterback, and uh, Arkansas didn't know, and I guess Alabama. Um, <laughs> Alabama didn't know either. They knew but didn't know, I guess, is uh, maybe the way that you would describe it a season ago. So, uh, yeah, we'll get into that coming up this afternoon. All-star game last night. The uh, the Pearl River Resorts pick of the day on um, Tuesday, excuse me, on Monday was a good one. Yesterday's was less good. 
I thought we had a chance late for some offense. When it got to 4-3, I thought, okay, one more big hit, and we got a chance to uh, to hit the over, but the under hit. So you had uh, seven total runs. The total was eight and a half. Needed two more to get there. Did not get there, and uh, so that is uh, how it ended last night. Um, a lot of good pitching in the game, and it was low scoring for a while. I didn't sit down and watch the entire thing the way I did the uh, the home run derby the night before. Kind of watched the last all oh, three or four innings of the game. Rippy, what did you think last night? Um, I mean, I thought it was entertaining. A lot of good pitching. Um, I like them doing the mic'd up thing during the at bats, and while the guys are in the field, I think that makes it more entertaining. Um, the back and forth between Freddie Freeman and uh, Justin Verlander early was pretty good. Yeah, and then um, yeah, and then I like they mic'd up all the Astros for that one inning, and then they um, Charlie Blackman out in right field late in the game. Yeah, and then Lindor talks to everyone. Um, <laughs> I like him; he's great, and uh, he it was interesting because like. He was acting I, like I would have pictured if they didn't have a microphone on him. That's how he acts most days in the field. So I enjoyed all of it. I thought it didn't was. Didn't he call real. the umpire by the wrong name and uh, Joe Buck correct him? I, I think he did it on. It, it appeared to be some sort of. I, he could have just called him by the wrong name. I took it as some kind of joke that Joe Buck didn't get because I imagine that's not the first time Francisco Lindor has seen that umpire. Yeah, just a guess. So, because he said that's so and so by the way, and then Lindor was like, "Yeah, I know." So I, I don't think he intentionally called him by the wrong name because they talked for a while. So I'm, I'm assuming it's something that Buck didn't understand. Um, it does make you wonder how much conversation goes on the field during regular season games. Uh, you know, if if it's just a regular season game and and they all matter, but some matter more than others. If it's just a run of the mill. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday game in the middle of the regular season against two teams that see each other on a fairly regular basis. How much conversation is there on the field between players and umpires, between players and the opposing players? And is the All-Star game drastically different? Because, well, frankly, the result doesn't really matter, and everybody's just having a good time. Yeah, I mean, there's. I, I think there's still a good bit of talk amongst players in everyday games. Um I remember one from last year, Eric Kratz and Joey Votto kind of got into it a little bit, and then they were talking afterward and then asked what they were talking about. They said the uh, currency difference between Canada and the United States. Um, <laughs> so a lot of different stuff goes on. I, I would imagine it's a pretty pretty good bit. Wouldn't you think that a, a first baseman with a good personality would be the one that would, would talk the most on the field? Because every guy that – or well, not every guy. I mean, if you get a double or you hit a home run – Maybe not. But everybody that either walks or gets hit by a pitch or singles is going to be there spending some time with the first baseman. Yeah, and you know, Votto's kind of like the Dos Equis man. So, like, there's a lot of – the Athletic wrote a story on first base conversation with Joey Votto long, not too long ago. So, yeah, a lot of different guys do that. Yeah. Joey Votto. Interesting. You, you say he's Dos Equis. You think – like the, the old one? The, the most interesting man in the world? Yes, or the or 2.0 Dos Equis that's just not nearly as funny? Uh, they had a player nickname deal last year where you could put your nickname on the back of a jersey, and he did a Russian or he did a Canadian war poem from 1845. It was like seven words. <laughs> Interesting cat. Yeah, and that's when he was still in Cincinnati. Yeah, yeah, he's been there his whole career. Oh, um, yeah. then like I covered some guy that Brad Boxberger had put an emoji of a box and a hamburger on there. Interesting. They got some characters. Sorry, you were talking about Joey Votto. I was thinking about Joey Gallo. Oh yeah, that hit the home run. 
he had a home run last night, didn't he? He did. He hits yeah. a lot of those. Yeah. He uh, and young guy, first All Star game for him. Yep. Uh, so the All Star game, big ratings number for the All Star game last night. We'll take a look at that a little bit later on. As I mentioned, media day participants, including nine quarterbacks, headed to Birmingham next week. Bill Bender from the Sporting News will join us. We'll talk some trap games in college football this year with him, and also get his take on the All Star game. Bill was in Cleve, excuse me, in Cleveland last night. Remember a few weeks ago where the state of California General Assembly uh, was threatened by the NCAA? Uh, they were taking up a uh, name, image, and likeness bill, and Mark Emmert and the NCAA sent a kind of a, I won't say a nasty letter, but basically a letter that said, no, you really don't want to do this because it might threaten the eligibility of the uh, the student-athletes in your state. And they basically said, do whatever we want to do. And uh, they didn't budge. They've continued to push the name and likeness bill, and it is now headed for, it looks like, the governor of California's desk in a little bit less than a month. Uh, so we'll see where that goes. That uh, could be an interesting step in all this. And you've also got some stuff that's happening at the federal level on this name and likeness issue. Uh, some basketball notes. Mississippi State player gets an NBA camp deal, likely headed to the G League. That's Eric Coleman. Uh, Ole Miss announced its basketball schedule yesterday. Kawhi Leonard's contract details are out. And interestingly enough, he will not be the highest paid player on the Los Angeles Clippers roster. That's just a function of the way contracts work. It's not like some sort of a slight to Kawhi Leonard, right? Yeah, and then the the I would imagine the length has something to do with, a little bit to do with it as well, even though they signed the same deals. But like he, in two years, he gets the ten year bump where he gets a no trade clause and then another threshold, um, in terms of like maximum contract. We shouldn't worry about whether or not he's going to be able to put food on the table. No, what was that player a couple years ago? Uh, Josh Smith signed a f- like one year, eight million dollar deal with the Clippers, thinking he was going to get more money, and he said, told Bleacher Report that it would be tougher to feed his family. You haven't I, seen, you don't remember this? No, I think I missed that uh, somewhere along the way. Tougher because he signed the eight million dollar deal, as opposed to uh, here we go. Josh Smith says six point four million dollar salary will make it tougher to put food on the t- or make it harder on his family. Excuse me. Hmm. A few more vac- fewer vacations. Yeah, less caviar at uh, at dinner maybe. Uh, Borky says we have the best dumb criminal news ever. In fact, it's so good that he thinks he might retire the segment after uh, after today. So you will, uh, I guess, not want to uh, miss that. Talk a little more about the All-Star Game when we come back. Sports Talk Mississippi, just getting started with you. You can text the show on the C Spire text line. Love to hear from you that way this afternoon. What's more awesome than getting the new device you want? Getting it for a great deal. That's why C Spire is giving you $650 off top smartphones when you switch and trade in a qualifying device. C Spire, customer inspired. The C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Back with you in the Renaissance Bank studio after this. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Wednesday afternoon. All-Star game last night. The American League won again. Thought we had a chance to uh, get a little backdoor cover on the over. Didn't happen that way. The uh, box score, if if you're interested in this, kind of the way the uh, game unfolded, American League jumped out to a one nothing lead in the second inning of the ball game. 
Uh, Alex Bregman came around to score. Uh, what was it? Three hits all from the Astros. The first three hits of the game were Astros. Is that right? I know the back-to-back hits played a run. I didn't know. I didn't notice the first three. Um, the American League added a run in the fifth inning to make it two to nothing. National League got on the board in the top of the sixth inning. That made it two to one. American League put two runs on the board in the bottom of the seventh. National League got two runs in the top of the eighth inning. Four to three was the final. Four runs, eight hits for the American League. Three runs, five hits for the National League. You did not have a single player in the game with more than one hit. Uh, all the position players for both teams were used. Most of the pitchers for both teams were used. How about this? So on the National League side, Ryu got the start, worked an inning. Kershaw pitched an inning, gave up two hits and a run, and took the loss. Jacob DeGrom pitched an inning. Castillo pitched an inning. Walker Bueller with an inning. Soroka from the Braves pitched an inning. Uh, Brandon Woodruff, two-thirds of an inning. Uh, Will Smith worked a third of an inning. And then Alcantara, did I say that right? Nailed it. From the uh, Marlins pitched an inning as well. Uh, on the American League side of things, Justin Verlander got the start. Then Masaharo Tanaka Ended up getting the win. They gave out a whole bunch of holds in the game as well. Berrios, uh, Giolito, Bieber, Hendricks, Green, and Hand all picked up holds, which is a relatively new stat in baseball. Then Raldis Chapman got the uh, save at the end of the game. So uh, nine pitchers for both sides. Um, not me. Was anybody left not playing in the game? Uh, did that kid from the Orioles get in, John Means? Mm, I'd have to dig through and see. I don't see his name anywhere. He did not participate. That's a bummer then, right? If you're like the only guy that didn't get into the game? Yeah, but I mean... The Orioles are you, terrible. That Well, not even that. I mean, I'm still telling people I was an all-star. Yeah, no, I... I don't disagree with you on the, on that front. Borky, the ratings numbers are, are interesting. Did a 6.2 overnight rating. Sixth consecutive year that the Major League Baseball All-Star Game is the highest rated All-Star event in sports. That means it outdoes the, uh, the NHL's All-Star deal, which is no surprise there. It outdoes the NBA All-Star game and also outdoes the Pro Bowl. The Pro Bowl maybe is the only one that's a little surprising. Even though it's a terrible event and a terrible game, there's so much interest in football, and yet the All-Star, maybe because it's an event that just absolutely stands on its own, there's no competition, continues to do really well. Yeah, it does. It's fascinating because this is actually a record low for the Major League Baseball All-Star Game, but every other All-Star Game is also dropping significantly. So it's still beating everybody else, and it beat last year's NBA All-Star Game by 27%. So it's still doing very well and not dropping as bad as the others, but this was still an all-time low. So I guess it depends on how you spin it. Fox, you know, of course, delivered the good and not the bad, but I'm fascinated by that component because all-star games across the board, including the Pro Bowl, are getting fewer and fewer viewers every single year, and yet baseball is, I mean, not dropping as much and still beating everybody else. 
The other thing that's fascinating to me, because we have the conversation all the time about the about Major League Baseball and whether or not it's healthy and whether or not it's good and whether or not young people are watching it or not, the, the deal is this. Nationally, people don't watch in the regular season. Locally, people watch in the regular season. The local ratings for Major League Baseball continue to be really, really good, and the value of the TV deals is massive. But people watch the All-Star game, and people watch baseball's postseason. So I wonder if that's a conversation or, or uh, argument's not the right word, but just kind of a line of thinking that maybe needs to go away and say, look, baseball's just different. It's a different game, and the way people consume baseball is different because during the regular season, people are interested in their team, not necessarily watching Milwaukee play in a game against St. Louis, if you're not a St. Louis fan or a Milwaukee fan. But if you get Milwaukee or St. Louis in the playoffs against the Braves or the Dodgers or whomever, people are going to watch because they watch postseason baseball. Is that... I mean, is that a reasonable way to look at this? A fair way to look at this? That, and also, I think when you look at the other ones, especially the NBA All Star Game, the, half effort isn't even given. I mean, it's just like watching a shoot around. They don't even try. And in the baseball All Star Game, even though they had guys mic'd up, which was an awesome little element they put in there, I wish that they would do that more. It, and I know you can't check in with these guys live because there's either strategic things going on or. They may use language that you you can't uh, risk not dumping when, when you're editing that audio before it goes out over the air, things like that. But if you could have more guys agree to being mic'd up during games so where in and out of commercial breaks or if there's a low, you can like hear a quarterback's cadence or, or something like that, hear outfielders talk to each other, hear player conversations, that would be awesome as a viewer just watching a game, hearing players talk to each other on the field, like really what they're saying to each other. Um, but it's actually competitive. Like the guys that were on the mound last night, they threw one inning, but they tried. Guys were throwing gas last night. But if they yeah, if they, they played it like the NBA game, they'd have thrown like you know 80-mile-an-hour fastballs and just batting practice and let guys hit home runs all night. So they yeah, actually I, gave effort. I don't think Major League Baseball – or, or baseball, period, lends itself to not playing hard. Now, maybe you don't have a massive collision at the plate. I think Rippy used the, the example yesterday. Maybe you don't go spikes up into second base trying to uh, you know, spike a guy. I mean, unless you're Pete Rose and running over a catcher, which that is not part of the game anymore. I thought it was interesting after the game was over last night. I was watching some of ESPN's post-game coverage. Tim Kirchin was just saying, this is what the All-Star game is, what is supposed to be, and frankly, this is what baseball should be. A, a game where you, you try to put the ball in play, nobody wants to strike out, nobody wants to be an out, and it's played in a pretty reasonable amount of time. That was a sub-three-hour All-Star game last night, which is something that I think a lot of people could rally around, especially when... Let's say you juxtapose that with Yankees-Red Sox. Those games are notoriously slow. It's almost a four-hour affair every single time they play. And if it doesn't get to four hours or just past it, it's just shy of four hours. There's no two-hour, 45-minute game when the Yankees and the Red Sox meet in April or in June or in August, much less when it happens in the postseason. And that's just crazy length of time. I mean, I love football. I love fo I live football. 
that's why I work in this business because it's the only thing that I, I had interest in in my entire life. Four-hour football games, I get bored at the end. It's just too long. Hey, call me a millennial with a bad attention span, whatever, but four-hour sporting events in regular time is just too long. Two hours and 48 minutes to play it last night. Yeah, that's great. It's great pace. Shorter than all college football games. That's a good point. Certainly shorter than the ones that you watch on CBS on Saturday afternoons. Gracious. Um, Is there a way to replicate that on a game-in, game-out basis? Pitch clocks. Keep the batters in the box. Yeah, but I mean... you didn't have a pitch clock last night, and you had batters doing their normal thing, but the the pace of the game moved along. I don't think there'd ever be a world too where they like they'd start penalizing people on a pitch clock and stuff. Like even if they implemented it, it would be kind of like a strike zone type thing where it's flexible. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you on uh, on that front. Um, okay, so so with all of the positive that we're talking about, ratings are good. People are watching the postseason. People watch the All Star game. Local ratings are healthy. Then you've got this story that's uh, brewing over on the side as well, that there could potentially be a labor stoppage in a couple of years. And it feels like this is something that we've been looking at for a long time. Uh, you even had some quotes uh, from a guy like J.D. Martinez from the Red Sox. We're very concerned. It's been a little lopsided the last couple of years. I know the association definitely wants to do something about it, talking about uh, pay for players. And, and don't you think maybe the biggest concern is that you've got veterans that are not getting paid, guys like Dallas Keuchel and Kimbrell who are having to sit out you know, a third of the season? Well, that and rookies doubling their salary in a home run derby. You think they want to see the rookie minimum raised? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we'll see where all of that goes. Uh, you've not had a labor stoppage in Major League Baseball since the 1994 season. So we will see. Hopefully that's not the case down the line. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank understanding you. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Streaming online at supertalk.fm Rhino hits us up on the uh, Sports Talk Mississippi Twitter feed at Sports Talk M-I-S-S. He says 99% of all soccer matches take two hours out of your day and then you're back to going about your business. You can catch Half a match on a one-hour lunch break. There you go. But if it ends 0-0, you'll be really mad that you just watched it. Will you? There are Plus, times where a tie is a good thing. Oh, I completely disagree. If yeah. the team is significantly better than you and you find a way to tie them, like you just, I mean, they were just, like what the United States said with Mexico. I mean, they just had more chances, just couldn't finish. If your opponent is so much better than you and they dominate you in every facet of the game, but they can never put one away, you're fine with a tie. I think tying is pointless. That's a hill I'll die on. You're willing to stick with that? Herm Edwards said you play to win the game. What's the point of a scoreboard if you're willing to walk away in a tie? Well, they only do it when it's um, like non-postseason games, and the tie gets you a point and all that stuff. Yeah, I'm with you. Go the um, hockey route. Um, what? Where you go to a shootout? Yeah, but it counts as like less than whatever a full one is because it's an overtime loss or overtime win, whatever. Yeah. 
I guess that's a, a way to look at it. All right, we need to put this uh, this wide receiver debate to bed as we, and then move on to uh, our next position on the Mississippi all-time team, college football team. We started with quarterbacks. We came up with Dak Prescott because of your votes on Twitter as the uh, first team all-Mississippi quarterback, Steve McNair and Archie Manning tied for the second team. Running back, Walter Payton was the first team with no debate. And Booby Dixon was the second team running back. Deuce McAllister finished third in the voting. And so we are on wide receivers right now. And the large dog at KT Vanderlip on Twitter has put together a neat little chart, and he uh, has his rationale. He says if you're in the College Football Hall of Fame, you've got a starting spot on the all-time team in Mississippi. He also says if you're the only other member of the 3,000-yard club, based on his limited research, then you've got a spot. And using that criteria, three of the wide receivers that he's got are Jerry Rice, who is in the College Football Hall of Fame. Same thing for Willie Richardson. And then Sherrod Gideon is there for having over 3,000 yards receiving in his time at Southern Miss. I don't think it's a bad way to look at it. I don't think it's the only way to look at it. So he had two wide receivers in a slot, and he said, now you got to pick a backup in each of those spots. you got to pick up, pick two backup wide receivers and a backup slot. Um, the, only, the only thing that I don't see, or the only name that I don't see on his list that I think deserves to be as part of this conversation is Eric Moulds. Uh, you know he's he's not on the list of players. So behind Jerry Rice and Sherrod Gideon, the names that he threw out there were Moncrief, Willie Green, Marty McDowell, Jerome Barkham, Shea Hodge, Todd Pinkston, Laquan Treadwell, Fred Ross. Then if you're talking about the slot position, he's got AJ Brown, Chris Collins, Chad Bumpus, and DeAndre Brown. So Borky, how do we how do we wrap up this wide receiving vote? And do we agree that those three that he put there are guys that should be on the first team in the wide receiver category? Well, I like the way Large Dog here has uh, spread this out. Although I don't think we should assign positions, so okay. I don't think it should be a backup to Rice, a backup to Richardson. I think it should just be three and three. Uh, regardless of where we position them on the field. But I'm okay with, if we want to move forward with, if you're in the College Football Hall of Fame, you're, you're automatically on this team, vote or no vote, doesn't matter. I'm actually okay with that rationale. Because if you're good right, enough so to be in the College Football Hall of Fame... What are you going to do with Wesley Walls, though? Are you going to make him a tight end? Where he only played one year in college? Or are you going to put him on the defensive side of the ball? It's a good question. Um, why did he get elected in the College Football Hall of Fame? I have to go back and look at it. Well, I mean, part of it's because he was a two-way player, and then part of it was because he went on to have an unbelievable pro career. Wesley Walls, though, but isn't was the, first the college team football all-American hall consensus just, all-American? Isn't it just college careers, though? Isn't that how they do their criteria? Because Willie yes. Richardson's pro stats are not deserving of a college football hall of fame vote. Um, I agree with you. Wesley Walls, three years as a defensive end, and then played some linebacker and some tight end. 
started both positions, actually, tight end and linebacker in a game of seasons, uh, senior season against Memphis. Maybe we should add an athlete category. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, pretty pretty remarkable career. So Wesley Walls is going to be on this team, just not sure exactly where he's going to be on the team at this point. Yeah, Are you okay yesterday. with that Hall of Fame thing, though? I think it's a I think it's good criteria, but I don't know if it's I don't know I don't so, know that I'm into firm and hard rules on this thing. Okay, so but sticking with wide receiver, are you okay with Rice, Richardson, and Gideon being in? I'm okay with all three of those guys being part of the six wide receivers that we put on this team. Fair enough. Yes. So let's pick three more. I don't know if we, there's just too many polls to. Uh, we may have to skip the fan vote on this one. I agree. Uh, AJ Brown is in for me. In addition to those three, Jerry Rice, Willie Richardson, and Sherrod Gideon, the numbers were just they they were good enough. They they completely justify it. Um. I lean in the direction, and I know this kind of flies in the face of some of the numbers that are are there, um, like for a Fred Ross at Mississippi State. I lean in the direction of making Eric Molds, uh, and and this is the all time all subjective eye test. I think he's one of the six best to ever play wide receiver in the state of Mississippi, and so that leaves one spot. If you go A.J. Brown, yes, and Eric Moulds, yes, who gets the last spot? Is it Dante Moncrief? Is it Chris Collins from his time at Ole Miss? Chad Bumpus? DeAndre Brown? Shea Hodge? Laquan Treadwell? I mean, I, I'm open to, to some input here. See, I'm okay with those five. I, I think you've got a good top five right there. With Rice, Richardson, Gideon, A.J. Brown, and Eric Moulds. But we got to have one more. Hmm. Let's eliminate some. Let's do it that way. Process of elimination. Okay. Uh, Just for those names that we're looking at, let's see. Uh, I love Willie Green, but he's not there. Numbers don't back it up. Um, Chris Collins' numbers withstood the test of time pretty well. Chris Collins' numbers are really good. Uh, and there's such a good argument to be made for Todd Pinkston, but also for Laquan Treadwell. Fred Ross's numbers are so good. All right, so we've eliminated one. How about we do this? Since we need, since we've been doing fan vote, we stick on the on the fan vote theme. We keep our five, so we picked five. Narrow okay. the rest down to four, and let the fans pick the last one. All right, so pick the last receiver. To go, I like that. Out of that group, your names are Dante Moncrief, Chris Collins, DeAndre Brown, and who? You go Pinkston or Treadwell for the last. Pinkston, Treadwell, or Ross for the last spot. What about Bumpus? I like Ross's numbers better than Chad Bumpus's. Okay. I think I would eliminate Todd Pinkston. Um, yeah. 
So, so, <laughs> this so, is so hard, the, man. I'm sitting here thinking, and I know it's an audio medium, so you can't just think and not say yeah, anything. Yeah, no, I understand but, that. I mean, I, I think to, to choose from the last four, Chris Collins, Chad Bumpus, DeAndre Brown, and Laquan Treadwell. Okay. You agree with it? We'll do that. Sounds good to me. I said Moncrief, Collins, Brown, and Treadwell. Is there enough body of work there with DeAndre Brown? Almost 3,000 yards receiving, right? Yeah. All right, we'll put a bow on the wide receivers when we come back. You can think about it. You can text us on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Tweet us if you want to. Uh, send that to at Sports Talk M-I-S-S. We'll give you the final four so that you can vote on one last to go in the group of wide receivers accompanying Jerry Rice, Willie Richardson, Sherrod Gideon, Eric Moulds, and A.J. Brown. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Check it out, Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. Here's a good text. 601-879-4395. C Spire text line. Don't forget your own advice. This is just for fun and conversation. doesn't really mean anything. Based on the conversation, it sounds like they were all pretty good. I appreciate that. Who sent that? Uh, no name. Just 859. So I'm using the list that the large dog put together on a really nice graphic. And we were going through trying to eliminate games, uh, eliminate names. So here's what you've got. You've got Jerry Rice from Mississippi Valley State, Willie Richardson from Jackson State, Sherrod Gideon from Southern Miss, um, Eric Moulds from Mississippi State, A.J. Brown from Ole Miss. So we're trying to find the last wide receiver spot. And after having watched most of these guys play, For the last spot, these are the four names that we're going to put up for a vote. And I understand that it will create some backlash, but you've also already got representation from all over the state. So, backlash be damned, here we go. Vote for one of these four guys for the last spot as the group of six wide receivers. Dante Moncrief, Chris Collins, Shea Hodge, Laquan Treadwell. That means you are eliminating Willie Green from Ole Miss, Marty McDowell from uh, Mississippi State. Why do I not know Jerome Barkham? I'm poo-pooing on my own idea. Laquan Treadwell is the best out of that four, right? He was a first-round draft pick. He was dominant in college pre-injury. Dominant. He was the best one of those four, right? So I know... You know, we're supposed to include fan vote, but isn't he the best of that four? In college? I think so. Yeah. I mean, Shea Hodge had a really good college career, but Treadwell was an absolute difference maker. He was better than Chris Collins. He was better than Dante Moncrief. He was better than Shea Hodge. He was better than Chad Bumpus and DeAndre Brown. He's better than Todd Pinkston. He's better than Fred Ross. Better than Willie McGreen, Marty McDowell. Yes. I agree with you, Borky. So let's just cut the charade, and there's our six right there. All right, so your six wide receivers, Jerry Rice, who is the unquestioned number one from Valley, Willie Richardson from Jackson State, 
Sharon Gideon from Southern Miss, Eric Moulds from Mississippi State, A.J. Brown from Ole Miss, Laquan Treadwell, also from Ole Miss. Is that all of them? Did I miss one? Rice, Richardson, Gideon, Brown, Moulds, Treadwell. There's your six. That's six really, really good wide receivers. How would you like that to be your two deep <laughs> wide out on a uh, on a football team? How are you going to spread the ball around for those guys? Good luck with that. Line two of them up in the backfield. I, yeah, well, I mean, who are you going to take out of the backfield? You're going to take Walter Payton out of the backfield? <laughs> Put one of those wide receivers back there? And we haven't even gotten to tight ends yet, and that's a heck of a list as well. Uh, that'll be uh, a lot of fun to look at. So that'll be where we go next, right? Tight ends are where we're going next? Yeah, we'll go tight ends next. But I think the first team is a pretty pretty easy answer. We'll see. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online with you at supertalk.fm. Have you got time for your dumb criminal news here, Borky? I want you to read it because I think you would deliver it better than me. This from Clay County, Missouri. When tracking down a suspect, law enforcement might use a canine to track down a scent. That was not necessary for a recent arrest in Missouri. According to the Clay County Sheriff's Office, over the weekend, Liberty Police were searching for a person who, a felo- uh, who had a felony warrant for his arrest. The person was wanted for possession of a controlled substance. The suspect hid to avoid police but apparently let out a flatulent noise that was so loud it gave up their hiding spot. You're supposed to call it a fart. We've got to give props to Liberty PD for using their senses to sniff him out. Read a Facebook comment from the Clay County Sheriff's Office. Borky... You and my six-year-old son could be like best buddies. Could you imagine the look on his face when he let that thing go? We are we are fighting the potty humor battle on a daily basis with my rising first grader. Oh, good! Because luck. they just think it's so funny. Here's Michael Borky telling you that uh, you're still going to be fighting that battle about twenty years from now as well. Gracious. <laughs> Found him. Guys hiding from police. They can't find him. He passes gas loudly. <laughs> it's always a tough way to lose in hide and seek. I guess that was a more intense version of that. That is a slightly more intense version of hide and seek. Bill Bender from the Sporting News joins us on the Farm Bureau phone line when we come back. He was at the All-Star Game last night and also has released a story with uh, trap games for the 2019 college football season. We're back after this in the Renaissance Bank studio. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming online at supertalk.fm, rolling into the 4 o'clock hour. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank, online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. To start things off here in the 4 o'clock hour, let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau, and check uh, check in with our buddy Bill Bender who this week has taken in the All-Star game 
festivities. Bill, we'll, we'll talk some college football in a minute, but how was Cleveland for the uh, for the All Star game? Oh, it was awesome. It was a great environment. Great, uh, great home run derby. Uh, my wife took my kid. It was awesome to see uh, his face. Like, uh, you know, I covered it, but to see his face when he was in the park was pretty cool. And I mean, that's what baseball is all about. The All Star Game. It's the tradition. It's the feeling like a kid. And for me, I mean, you know, a guy like Shane Bieber, his first time All Stars. It's it's just special when you get to see them. And and some of the first time All Stars were upset that uh, their names were misspelled on the video board. Or they had the wrong headshot. I mean, we're, we're kind of picking at nits if that's what the only thing that's uh, that people are upset about, right? Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of discussion about juice balls and the state of the game and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, if you didn't enjoy the home run derby, I can't help you. Um, yeah, no doubt. Guerrero, <laughs> Guerrero Jr. was incredible. Uh, Peterson was incredible. Alonzo Acuna, those all those guys. I mean. This is the young talent, and this is the problem, Richard, is, uh, you know, Guerrero's 20, and there's a fair amount of sports fans that are just getting to know him. Trevor Lawrence is the same age, and um, we're talking about him being the number one pick in the NFL draft in a few years, and a lot more people know who he is. Yeah, you know, we were talking, though, about baseball a second ago, and, and kind of the health of the game, and the fact that this conversation seems to be ongoing, and maybe it's because football is just so far ahead of everything but baseball at the local-slash-regional level is extremely healthy. The TV ratings are off the charts. And then when you get into national games, nobody cares about national games during the regular season, but the All-Star game is the highest-rated All-Star game of any sport, and the postseason ratings are fantastic as well. And, yeah, you got a bunch of teams that aren't trying, but the teams that are trying are putting on great shows. It feels to me like Major League Baseball is pretty darn healthy. Yeah, I think it's better than people think. Um, you know, attendance at certain places is um, not great. I mean, I Miami. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know that it w- you can say, well, why not contract? But then you're taking away jobs from some major league players. So I, again, yeah. I just think it's marketing their superstars. I mean, one of the phrases I always hear is, you know, if Mike Trout walked into my living room, I wouldn't know who he is, and it's just unfathomable mobile to me a guy that grew up with griffey and bonds and you know guys that were larger than mcguire those guys were larger than life so um i think it's about marketing the superstars a little bit better bill how was the atmosphere in the stadium last night in comparison to monday night during the derby um well, I mean, it's about the moments. Like, Guerrero was just getting ridiculous roars um, when he was putting on that show. It was just loud, louder, loudest. I mean, the guy hit a 488-foot home run. It was pretty incredible mm-hmm. to see. Um, you know, and I think that along with that, um, just everything that went with that. But last night, there were some really cool moments, like the Carlos Carrasco salute doing the stand-up to cancer. And, I mean, everybody, my family has been touched by that. It, it happens. Um you know, CC Sabathia coming out and being saluted by the fans. I mean, it's just a cool place to see a game. And I think the fact Bieber won MVP kind of solidified that. Cleveland gets a lot of, you know, punches thrown at it. But City's cool, and it's got a lot bigger events coming along the way. You know, I, I, it was interesting to me that the whole CC Sabathia kind of welcome back and salute was orchestrated by Alex Cora who is the manager of the Boston Red Sox. So you get the biggest rivalry in baseball, Yankees-Red Sox, and the manager of the Red Sox kind of steps above that fray 
if you want to call it that, and not once but twice creates an opportunity for uh, for one of the all-time greats in the game and C.C. Sabathia to be honored. Well, and again, I mean, Sabathia is a guy that left the Indians for the Yankees and a couple of years ago beat the Indians in Game 5 of the ALBS. I mean, that's... Yeah. So that's also pretty cool of Cleveland. And again, they, they greeted Michael Brantley, another guy who left. I mean, that's the, again, that's the cool part is walking around these guys and, and, and watching them kind of revel in the moment. I think Francisco Lindor, it's another example of what I was talking about earlier. He should be huge in this country for how good he is at baseball. He's an amazing player for the Indians. And, uh, he, it's just where the football is ahead of that, the NBA and how they market their stars. I mean, you could argue women's soccer and how they are marketing their stars right now, um, especially coming off the World Cup victory. They're they're ahead of the game. Yeah, that's a uh, that's a good point. Switch gears to, to football. You're going to be in uh, Hoover next week, or are you bouncing to one of the other spots with what the four four of the five Power Five conferences having their media days at the same time? Yeah, getting them all in at the same time. I'm going to ACC this year. Um, okay. and our offices are down in Charlotte, so I'll miss you guys down there. I mean. Always like to go Hoover, and here's the other thing: the AC. The, this is what we're talking about with marketing. The SEC is bringing their stars down there. A lot of quarterbacks, a lot of big names. Um, that's big. I mean, some of the other conferences, and I get to bringing your seniors, but you know, you got to showcase your star power, and it's something because these media events. You've been to enough to, of them. I've been to enough of them. They can get pretty contrived, but I think the best way to keep it interesting is to bring your best players. Bill, I, I went out on a little bit of a limb yesterday. We were kind of talking some big-picture college football stuff, and I said, here's a dark horse for a college football playoff spot. Tell me if you think I'm absolutely crazy for mentioning Nebraska. Maybe another year. Um, but, I mean, if they win the Big Ten West, they'll have their shot. They're going to play in a lot of big games, starting with Ohio State on September 28th. Got a super talented quarterback in Adrian Martinez. They're going to put up points. They got to play better defense, though. And if you look at last year, Wisconsin, Michigan, Ohio State, Iowa had no trouble scoring on those guys. Purdue had no trouble scoring on those guys. They've got to have a championship defense. If they, if they're seven to ten points better on defense per game, they'll have a chance in the Big Ten West. If not, they'll probably go eight and four or seven and five because that division is going to be very competitive. Yeah, and and my rationale was really based on the schedule um, because their more difficult conference games are all home games. They've got Ohio State at home, Northwestern at home, Wisconsin at home, Iowa at home. They don't play Penn State. They don't play Michigan. It just feels like it's a schedule that sets up where they could get to the Big Ten championship game, and then if they get there, you know, who knows? Maybe it's a free shot at that point. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a good point. And then they got to play... You know, at Colorado early, and that's a, they lost a wild game of Colorado last season. So, um, yeah, if they can make Memorial Stadium, Stadium inhospitable again for other teams, they'll have a chance. I, if they can get to that Ohio State game undefeated, it's going to be a huge game in September because it's really going to be Ryan Day's first huge road test in a true road environment. That Not like last year at TCU. That was kind of a home game for Ohio State somehow. Um but yeah, it'll be a huge game for Nebraska. I bet you game day will be there if they're both undefeated. 
Yeah, that uh, certainly would be fun to watch. Bill Bender from Sporting News on your radio right now. Newest piece you've got out, Bill, is about uh, about trap games. This is uh, several years in a row that you've done that. We certainly don't have time to go through the entire list, but there were a couple that, that kind of piqued my interest. Uh, you've got Arkansas appearing as a trap game for a couple of different teams, uh, for Mississippi State and for Texas A&M. So just kind of by definition, if those are potential trouble spots for the Bulldogs and the Aggies, that means you've got to believe that Arkansas is going to have a pulse this year. Is that accurate? They'll be better. I mean, I think the quarterback play will be better. They'll be more interesting. They bottomed out a little bit last year. They'll be competitive. And trap game takes on so many forms. I, I kind of look at the schedule, and a trap game to me can sometimes be if you're in between two big games, uh, you know, the emotional letdown game in between. Um, so it was a fun thing to do. Obviously, we put Akbar on there every year as we do. The, the what should be the old Miss mascot at some point. Mm. Um, but uh, it's yeah, a trap. Kind of a, yeah, exactly. It's a it's a tradition we have at Sporting News, and we enjoy. And yeah, there there there's good ones on there. Alabama was South Carolina game early in the season. That could be interesting for them. What about Vanderbilt against Florida? I mean, is that just simply because of where it falls on the schedule after the game against Georgia? Yeah, and if you look the last few years, Florida, after that game, it's not pretty. Um, they've had some bad losses. They've lost to Vanderbilt after that game. And last year's game with Vanderbilt was very chippy, especially in the second half. Um, but but I think Vanderbilt's a team you cannot just take a week off and play because they're capable of beating you. So. Yeah, that's one of those games that Florida, if they lose to Georgia especially, you'd have to consider that would be a trap. Interesting stuff. We will miss seeing you in uh, in Hoover next week for SEC Media Days. We look forward to uh, talking to you after you finish up your time in Charlotte for the ACC version. Thanks, Bill. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Absolutely. That's Bill Bender from the, uh, the Sporting News. Let's get Utah State as a trap game for LSU. October 5th. So the Tigers don't have an SEC matchup that stands out as a trap game, but they will be up against one of the nation's most efficient passers in Jordan Love when the Aggies visit Tiger Stadium after an LSU bye week. I don't know if I'm buying into that one or not. Sports Talk Mississippi. Thanks to Bill Bender for joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. Glad to have you along. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey on this Wednesday, middle of the week. Hey, Dad's off today. I, I was looking at the composite schedule for the SEC for a different reason, but I was drawn to September 21st. So that is week four of the season. Week five, if you want to count that week zero. We'll just call it week zero, so that'll be week four of the season. Good luck setting the TV schedule this weekend. Listen to these matchups in week four. Tennessee, Florida. Georgia, Notre Dame. Kentucky at Mississippi State. Missouri, South Carolina. Vanderbilt, LSU. Alabama Southern Miss. Boy, Arkansas is an afterthought that weekend. They've got San Jose State. Auburn at Texas A&M. Ole Miss hosting Cal. Is that the best slate of games for the league as a whole for the entire year? 
that's really, really good, isn't it? Aside from Rivalry Weekend, yeah. But that probably beats Rivalry Weekend. Eh. I mean, final weekend of the regular season, you got Florida, Florida State, Georgia, Georgia Tech, Kentucky, Louisville, Arkansas, Missouri, South Carolina, Clemson, Tennessee, Vandy, Alabama, Auburn, LSU, A&M, Ole Miss, Mississippi State. Eh, maybe not. That's pretty darn good. Those first three, though, aren't worth anything to me. I, see, I don't. It depends on. I guess you have to project here. I don't suspect Florida State's going to be very good. Georgia Tech, even if they're, I mean, in the right direction with getting out of the triple option and stuff, that's going to be a multi-year rebuild. So year one's probably going to be rough. We'll see with Louisville. You know, I, those don't stand out to me as much as Week Four does. But then you have the Iron Bowl and the Egg Bowl and. LSU and when, A&M, that kind of tips the scales. This is a season where you've got two open dates on the calendar. And so it's kind of crazy. When you look at like Saturday dates, there are only three dates for the entire schedule where everybody in the SEC plays on a Saturday. September 7th, which is week two, everybody plays. September 21st, week four, everybody plays. And then October 19th, everybody plays. Now, you could say, what about the final weekend of the season? Yes, but again, my point was on a Saturday because you get games on Friday and, you know, Thursday night, Friday night game, or maybe you don't have a Friday night game this year. So there are only four times where everybody in the SEC plays on a weekend, period. It's kind of crazy. I like the Florida. extra week, though. Oh, I do, too. I do, too. So we were talking trap games with Bill Bender. What if you look at Mississippi State's schedule? What if you look at Ole Miss's schedule? Where is the trap game? Where's the one that fans expect to win it? Players, maybe. Maybe they don't expect to win it. But maybe players, if you just really get them to tell the truth, think they can just kind of show up and win it but it may be a little bit more difficult than you expect. So Mississippi State opens with Louisiana Lafayette. Obviously, week one is not a trap game. Southern Miss in week two. You would think it's early enough in the season that that doesn't fall into a trap game category, but that certainly is one where fans will look at it and expect to win. You might have some players who look at it and kind of expect to win, but you still got to go out and play. Kansas State, Kentucky, on the road against Auburn, then an open date. On the road against Tennessee, LSU, Texas A&M, Arkansas on the road, then an open date before Alabama, Abilene Christian, and Ole Miss. Rippy, is there a game on state schedule that you think falls into trap game category? On state or Ole Miss? On, on state. That, that was state schedule first. Um, Or Borky, is there one that you see there that you think is a trap game for Mississippi State? I don't know if you can call a game off of a bye week a trap game, but there's a lot of, when you talk to people around here, the way that Tennessee is looked, and I think Haydad is actually against this grain. I think he actually believes that that's a tough game that they'll have to show up and play. But a lot of people that I talk to and around here are just putting a W next to Tennessee, and they'll just be able to waltz right into Neyland and come out with a win. But that's a Tennessee team that returns their quarterback, their running back, two excellent wide receivers, and they're too deep. And the wide receiver core is also really good. So they're deep at wide receiver. They're deep and experienced in the defensive secondary. 
where Mississippi State falls on Tennessee's schedule is great for the Bulldogs because they have Georgia and Alabama a week before and a week after. So you get yeah. that sandwich effect. But if you think you're going to waltz into Neyland with a really good 5.5 yards per carry running back from a year ago, two really good receivers, and Garantano, who only got better as the year went on and completes over 60% of his passes, if you think you're just going to walk into Neyland and come out with a win, think again. I know we've every year sports media talks about Tennessee and, all oh, this is the year, and Vols are back, and Vols are back, but they might actually be back this time. It's a good, experienced football team coming back for them. Arkansas in late November won't be easy either on the road. That, that's kind of the one that I was looking at. And Arkansas had one. Okay, this is how Phil Steele puts it. Arkansas had won 12 of 13 against Mississippi State, but they have lost six of the last seven, including three in a row all of which have been decided by seven points or less. So if you look at recent results against Arkansas for Mississippi State, um, sorry, flip a couple of pages back. So Mississippi State last year smoked Arkansas, beat them 52-6. to Year before, 28-21. 58-42, Arkansas actually won in 2016. 2015, it was 51 to 50, a Mississippi State win. 2014, actually played it earlier in the year that season, 17 to 10. So they've played some close games, even though Mississippi State's won more of them. I think Mississippi State's a good bit more talented than Arkansas, but I think where it is on the schedule because it follows a road trip to Knoxville, a home game against LSU, and a road trip to College Station. So that will be the third road game in four weeks and a four-week stretch that includes Tennessee, LSU, and A&M before Arkansas. To me, that's the trap game for Mississippi State. Borky, what do you think about Ole Miss? So I was I was thinking Cal, because that's a game that, I mean, all off-season long when you talk to people about Ole Miss or hear, hear people talk about Ole Miss, does anybody ever mention that game at all? You don't hear about it. All you hear is about Memphis and then their SEC West opponents. But I think Cal is going to come in. It's a team that's uh, going to be kind of built like Ole Miss in where their experience lies. So they they return a quarterback that wasn't productive last year. They lose their running back who was a 1,000-yard rusher a year ago. And four of their top five leading receivers are all gone from that team. But okay. smart football people say that on defense they're going to be really good, especially in the secondary where they may have one of the best in America. So they'll come in with a lot of experience on defense, a good defensive-minded head coach, and a lot of missing pieces on offense. But that's a game where Cal might be, if you're talking about those first four games, Cal might be the best team, maybe, of those four first four games. At least you can make an argument for it. I think Wilcox is a good coach, and it's a game that nobody at all is talking about that they can definitely lose. And so I put that in the, the trap category. I don't know if I buy into the fact that nobody's talking about it. If, if people, I just you never hear right, about it. Well, you you may be right that people aren't talking about it, but I think the reason people are not talking about that game is because of how the season begins and the importance of the first two games with Memphis and Arkansas. Yeah, fair enough. I'm going to go a different route though. I'm going to go Vanderbilt, and it's a home game. It happens on October 5th. It is the sixth 
of eight straight games to start the year. And if Ole Miss is able to navigate its way through the first four or five games of the year, let's go crazy and say Ole Miss is four and one after the Alabama game. Or even if they're three and two, you got Vanderbilt on the heels of Alabama and teams trying to bounce back and win after playing Alabama. We know it's well documented that that's not an easy thing to do. And then they got to turn around and go on the road to Missouri the next week. To me, that's the one that kind of falls into the trap category. Rippy? I had the same thing just because it's the week after Alabama and Tuscaloosa. Yeah. What do you think Ole Miss's record is going into that Vanderbilt game? Um, three and two. So we got the email today you don't from think they, the SEC they get out of the gate office outlining who is going to is there be one in particular that jumps out for at SEC Memphis. media days. We've been wondering uh, for don't a while. Think they win that. Really? A few days anyway. Uh, Bounce back with Arkansas, Southeastern, Louisiana, and Cal. Schedule looks like all of that good stuff. So now you have got everything gets started. Mississippi streaming online with you at supertalk.fm. The Renaissance Bank Uh, Studio, Renaissance Bank, will understand everybody that's there. And Missouri will be there with Barry Odom, the head coach, Demarcus AC, Kelly Bryant, and Kale Garrett. So there's one quarterback for you, and Missouri's doing what they need to do, right? They need to bring Kelly Bryant. He's going to be the starting quarterback. He's a transfer from Clemson. He's being treated as the starting quarterback, even though he still has to, I guess, technically win that job. But um, Kelly Bryant is going to be there, and he needs to be there. Also on Monday, Florida and LSU. Dan Mullen is bringing his quarterback, Felipe Franks, along with Michael Pirine and Jabari Zuniga. So that's your second quarterback. LSU, Ed Ogeron is bringing Joe Burrow, Lloyd Cushenberry, and Grant Delpit. So he's bringing his quarterback and maybe the best player in college football. Are you willing to go that far with Grant Delpit, Borky? Ooh, I, I can I can hear the argument and agree with it. But if Trevor Lawrence, I know it's easy to go with the quarterback, but if Trevor Lawrence elevates at all, it's hard to disagree with him, too. But, I mean, you know, you could convince me one way or the other. Okay. Tuesday, morning session, starts at 9 o'clock, goes until 1. Georgia's Kirby Smart is bringing Jake Fromm, J.R. Reed, and Andrew Thomas. That's four quarterbacks. Matt Luke is bringing Matt Corral, Alex Gibbons, and Momo Sonogo. So, quarterback, offensive lineman, and a linebacker. That's five quarterbacks. Afternoon session on Tuesday, Texas A&M and Tennessee. Jimbo Fisher's bringing Justin Matabuke, Braden Mann, and Kellen Mond. That's six quarterbacks. Tennessee's Jeremy Pruitt is bringing Daniel Batuli, Daryl Taylor, and Jarrett Garantano. That is seven quarterbacks. Glad Ole Miss made that choice, by the way. With... Corral. With Matt Corral. I know, I know these guys like to bring seniors and, and experienced players anyway, and, and he comes back without much of either. But he's an articulate kid as well, gives well-thought-out answers. The media is going to like him, and that's who we want to hear from. We want to hear from the quarterback. He'll be able to answer the most questions that people have. And Again, he's a really sharp kid and will actually like deliver non-coach speak thoughtful answers, so it's good that he's showing up. 
So through Tuesday, every team that will appear will have their quarterback with them. On Wednesday, you've got Alabama. Nick Saban's bringing Jerry Judy, the all-everything wide receiver, Dylan Moses, and Tua Tonga-Vailoa. That is eight quarterbacks. And then you get to Arkansas, very much undecided on who the starter is going to be. Chad Morgus, uh, Morris is bringing McTelvin. Is it Agem or Agem? Agem, I think. Dejon Harris and Devwa Whaley. So no quarterback from Arkansas. Mississippi State not bringing a quarterback. Joe Moorhead is bringing along Farad Green, Errol Thompson, and Daryl Williams. It's kind of figured that was coming. Yeah, we guessed what two of the three. We guessed Errol Thompson and Daryl Williams and thought that maybe Kylan Hill would be brought along, but that's not the case. Farad Green is the other that's being brought along for Mississippi State. South Carolina's Will Muschamp bringing Jake Bentley, TJ Brunson, and Brian Edwards. So that's nine quarterbacks. And then on the final day, Thursday, Vanderbilt, Kentucky, and Auburn. And that is three programs where they're going to be breaking in new quarterbacks this year. So none of them are bringing a quarterback. For Vanderbilt, uh, along with Derek Mason, Kalijah Lipscomb, Jared Pinckney, and Kayshawn Vaughn. It's a good trio of players for Vanderbilt. It is. Lipscomb's a really good player. Uh, Kentucky bringing Lynn Bowden Jr., Cash Daniel, and Logan Stenberg. And Auburn is bringing Derek Brown, the beast on the defensive line. Marlon Davidson, another beast on the de- defensive line. And then Prince Tega Wanoga, who is he's an offensive lineman, right? Almost positive that that's the, uh, the case. So a couple of defensive guys. So none of the three teams on the final day are bringing quarterbacks. They'll wrap things up at uh, about 2 o'clock on Thursday uh, at SEC Media Days. So that's who is uh, that's who's coming. It's a pretty good group, isn't it? Most quarterbacks ever, for whatever that's worth to you. Nick Saban is bringing a quarterback for the first time since A.J. McCarron in 2013. I'm fascinated by Alabama. Because, I mean, we talked about it earlier this week about how coming off of a postseason loss, they have this huge record and all of this, but doesn't this offseason feel a little different? Not that Alabama's going to go out and lose four games or anything like that, but being the preemptive dominant program where Nick Saban was untouchable and the team was untouchable and everybody else is just playing for second, that mood has completely gone away, hasn't it? But who's beating them in the West? LSU. They're going to go in Tuscaloosa and win? They, they have the talent that can do it. Not saying they will, but the the mood, and it'll be interesting to hear from you guys when you get to go and talk to people And because there was always this aura. I mean, I went the last four, and on Alabama Day, people like were afraid to get around Nick Saban as if he was some kind of Greek god walking among us, among us sheer mortals with his police escort, and it was like he was bigger than everybody else. And the program has been treated that way in the media for the last few years, but it doesn't feel that way anymore. I disagree. I think it will feel exactly that way again this year. Uh, well, I don't, I don't know. I won't be there to find out. But, I, I mean, when you talk about college football going into this year, it is... It's Alabama and Clemson. Yes, there's somebody else now. But there won't be anybody else in Birmingham. 
the ACC will be doing their thing up the road in Charlotte. Uh, look, I, I just I just look at it as uh, until somebody dethrones them. And remember, we looked at the numbers earlier this week of what Alabama has done coming, or I'm sorry, what Nick Saban has done coming off a postseason loss. What were the numbers? Sixty-five and six, four national titles in the five With years four after. national championships. And by the way, Alabama has won eight in a row in the series against LSU, giving up an average of nine points per game. Last three times they've played in Tuscaloosa, Alabama has won by an average of 16.5 points. I just don't see how it's any different this year. In Maybe Tuscaloosa? it's wishful thinking. I just I want it to be different. But nationally, it does absolutely feel different. And... If ACC media days are exactly in line with SEC and you have Clemson on the same day as Alabama, I wonder who gets covered more. Mm. I don't think I don't think there's any other media day or media week that is anywhere close to the coverage that the SEC gets. Because the whole thing is on the SEC network. Now, a year from now, all the ACCs will be on the ACC network. That doesn't launch until mid-August, though. And I just don't think you're there yet. I mean, it will be wall-to-wall coverage from 11 o'clock on Monday through 2 o'clock on Thursday afternoon. All SEC, all the time, SEC network. I don't know if they're doing Sports Center on the road there again like they did a few years ago, but... I just I don't think anything has changed yet. Even if even if we want it to, I don't think we've gotten there yet. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. It's my understanding that there is at least one person who is angry about the fact that we don't talk about tennis on uh, Sports Talk Mississippi. So all I'm going to tell you is this. You got Wimbledon going on, and you're down to the semis on the men's side. And Borky, this is the equivalent of having Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, and then just somebody else in the college football playoff. Novak Djokovic, Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal all win today. And then uh, another guy, uh, Bautista Agut, wins as well. He's the 23rd ranked player. So the number one seed, or the 23rd seeded player. Djokovic, the one seed, Federer, the two seed, and Nadal, the three seed, all advancing to the semis. And I guess the way the bracket's set up, that means you get Federer and Nadal playing to get to the finals. And the average age of those four is like 32 years old. So uh, not a great wave of young talent in tennis, apparently. Well, maybe you just got the best yeah. by a million miles. What is old Rippy for w- tennis, I wonder? Um, you know, 30 is usually kind of the end of the prime. Rippy, will you will you watch the semifinals on Friday? No. You watch <laughs> any of Wimbledon? No. Uh, no, 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 that's not true. That's not entirely true. I watched uh, a little bit of Coco. Uh golf and that's how you say it yep yeah go, go go golf yeah on uh 
or I say watch, listened slash watch. I had it like on my phone playing in the seat on the drive up from Jackson the other day. So not like listening on the radio. No, no, no. I had the t- I like listening to the TV broadcast, but obviously not watching it because that'd be yeah. And then on the uh, women's side, uh, Serena still alive. You get the uh, women's semifinals tomorrow, and then uh, what Sunday you get the uh, championship round for the uh, men. What's your level of interest in attending a match at Wimbledon? Uh, someone offered me a trip, I'd accept. Yeah, but that's not like on your bucket list of watching tennis at Wimbledon somewhere along the way? No. Like long-range bucket list? I don't have a short-range bucket list. Would you rather Would you rather watch the finals at Wimbledon or a night match at the U.S. Open? Flushing. See, that's something I would like to do at some point. I'd love to go to a night match at the U.S. Open tennis in New York. What's the difference between that and a day match other than the lighting? Just a little better atmosphere, I think. Okay. And it's in August, so probably, well, maybe it's early September. I mean, could be the difference in like 30 degrees. Well, it's 2019. They don't play tennis inside. (laughs) I do think they... They finally put a retractable roof over Arthur Ashe Stadium in okay. New York. Yeah, I mean, I would like to go. I, I'm not going to make like a huge effort, I wouldn't think. What is your sports bucket list? Um, I guess eventually go to Augusta. Yeah? I don't really have a lot. Army-Navy? Someone's got a ticket, I'll go. Game 7 of the World Series? That would be cool. Super Bowl? You you these are not like things, I, I Kentucky Derby, Indy five hundred, Ryder Cup. I don't know. I don't necessarily think about like like I, like all those things would undoubtedly be cool to go to, but like I don't know. I've just never really like don't really think about sports that way. Is it because you cover it? No. It'd be kinda cool to cover auto racing though. Um Really? I think it'd be interesting and different. I bet there's more parody than that in college foot than in college football. <laughs> but <laughs> I don't know. I just I, I don't like I don't have a huge like bucket list. There's some things I'd like to see, but I don't have like a list of stuff I'm just dying to go see and do. The 16th at uh, the waste management looks pretty cool. <laughs> we do bucket list and 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 Rippy comes up with the spot where you can drink beer and <laughs> and sing Happy awesome. Birthday to Phil Mickelson. It looks awesome. Like that looks like a fun time. Um, that looks more awesome to you than Army Navy. Uh in the snow. Yes. Watching golf in the sun versus watching the triple option in the snow? Yes. Army Navy cool atmosphere, not knocking it. Like I like watching Army Navy, but if you're asking me to pick one, see in Scottsdale. <laughs> Dan in Charleston says my bucket list would have been Wimbledon when McEnroe was still playing. The only bucket list works that way though, Dan. I don't think you can go the opposite direction. Um what's the the why is the Wimbledon cooler than the clay, the French Open? It's just more prestigious. Depends on who you ask. It's also not in France. I got no problem with France. Wimbledon, I mean, any tennis thing doesn't show up. I mean, if I had to sit here and write it out, it probably wouldn't show up in my top 100. Not no, There's no tennis event that would be in your top 100? If I think about it hard, probably not. And... 
the, the one tennis person that wants us to talk about it uh, is probably going to hate me for it. I don't, I'm not disparaging their athleticism. Tennis is the most boring thing ever to me to watch. Mm. It just, it does not pique my interest whatsoever. And okay. Especially watching on television because the camera angles never change. Like nothing happens. They they just they hit it back and forth at each other. There's, I know I'm oversimplifying it, but no tennis doesn't show up at all. I would rather visit all every NFL, NBA, and MLB stadium before I would pay to go to the Wimbledon. You talk about a sport that has less parity than college football. Men's Ten- tennis. Tennis. Uh, Paul Lewis on the text line says, I'd rather see the Tour instead of the French Open. I guess he means the Tour de France. France. Uh, Tour de France. You don't care about sitting in the mountains and watching a bunch of folks go by on bicycles and tight Speedos? No. I mean, they're not Speedos, but you know what I mean. It's actually kind of fun. We have one of those professional um, bike tour races, so not like the Tour de France, but some of the guys that race in that... Um, Wait, in Jackson? No, no, where I grew up. Um, oh, okay. I, I thought you were going to say that a bike race in Jackson was not quite the same as the Tour no. de France. <laughs> no, they would go up through... You're kind of going uh, out on a limb there, aren't you? A little bit. So they would go up through the... They would do one long loop, and it would go up through the mountains and stuff. But then they had a way where they went through downtown and went down Main Street like seven times. So everybody was like either at the bars, like watching over the balconies, or just hanging out, drinking... Watching these guys go by seven times, they would declare a winner. And George Hincappy, who was Lance Armstrong's like right-hand man when he was winning all those tours, is from Greenville. Mm-hmm. And so he was like a big star there. And downtown would be flooded with people and everybody's drinking and there's a band playing and stuff as these biker guys go by a few times. It's kind of cool. I will say one thing that, that there's one bike race that I've seen, and it was part of the tour to Georgia. Like there's a big bike race in Georgia. It happens in Athens. They call it the Twilight Criterium, and it's a road cycling race in the spring that happens in Athens at night, and it's like a circuit that they ride. And, I mean, they've got hay bales in the turns for, like, hairpin turns and whatever. Pretty cool to watch. I don't know that it's bucket list stuff, but it's pretty good. Sounds better than Wimbledon. Somebody did ask the question, um, What if you could do a time machine bucket list? Like if you could go back. Oh man, Borky, put put that on the list for tomorrow. I want to think about that a little bit. Absolutely. If you could go back and pick three or four, four or five sporting events in history that you could see in person. What would they be? Malice in the Palace. Get to fight some NBA players? Tim and McGee says you forgot when they hit the ball in tennis, they grunt. Jay suggests they have a naked bike race in Vancouver. Oh, what? Seems painful. Just a lot of chafing. (laughs) And steroids, presumably. (laughs) Presumably. Darren's bucket list is Kentucky Derby, Augusta, Game 7 of the World Series, Super Bowl, and the College Football National Championship in that order. I've done two of the five. I've been to Augusta twice, and I've been to a College Football National Championship game. Not been to the Derby yet. I have not been to Game 7 of the World Series. I can't decide how 
jazzed up I am about the Super Bowl. I mean, I feel like at some point I'm probably going to take my son to a Super Bowl. But the Super Bowl prices are just ridiculous. It's a five-hour game, too. Yeah, it is. But, I mean, it's it it's got to be about the experience more than the actual game. I think at some point I'd like to say I was there. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.